Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to, we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. All right, guys, welcome to the program. I think we're just going to dive right in to what has been happening over the last few days in our nation. Look at some of the headlines and some things that are just making me bang my head on my desk, the wall, anything, because it's, it seems that we have in our country, oftentimes what happens is we will have something bad or tragic or evil will occur, and then, and then come the responses, many of which are not well thought through or are specifically trying to promote an agenda, and it just it's, it's unbelievable. So we're going to look at uh, a couple things today, um, and if you've been following the news at all, none of this will be uh, a surprise to you, but I do want to, to get in, into a little bit of what's been happening in our nation some of the narrative that's being pushed, and some serious journalistic malpractice, I think, that's happening in our country right now, which just uh, is so infuriating. That's not even a word. Infuriating. Uh, But before we get to that, the jury has found Derek Chauvin guilty on three counts uh, in Minnesota regarding the death of George Floyd. That honestly was a surprise to me. I thought they would find him guilty, but I didn't think they would find him guilty on all three. I thought manslaughter uh, for sure. I didn't think they'd get uh, murder, but evidence was presented, and they were able to get uh, that conviction. Um, then, uh, so, so we saw that. We're waiting to see what will happen with the sentencing. Nancy Pelosi saying we need to make sure that things happen the way they're supposed to with the sentencing. And, you know, I... I I don't see, looking at the evidence, how they got to guilty on all three counts here. Um, Again, I I thought they would get a guilty. I thought at least on manslaughter, but on all three, I'm not sure. But then when I took a step back, and when you look at what has happened this past week with Maxine Waters, with what the judge said, I, I have a theory, and some of you aren't going to like this, but my theory is that perhaps, perhaps the people on the jury in this case know how polarizing this case is. Perhaps they know or knew in making this decision that it was likely to be appealed and will be appealed anyway. And perhaps they wanted to get home safely. And knowing the polarization, knowing that it would be appealed, and knowing that their lives could literally be in danger if there was anything less than a guilty verdict on all three counts... Maybe that's why we ended up uh, with all three being guilty. I don't think that all three will stand in the case of an appeal, but uh, I do think guilty will remain, just I don't think it will stand on all three. That's that's just my take. could be way off base. Um, I'm not going to get into the ins and outs of uh, what he did, who George Floyd was, any of that. We've gone over that extensively in the past on this podcast. Instead, I want to talk about some of what we have seen in our culture as this trial has unfolded, starting with uh, uh, 
Maxine Waters, uh, Representative Maxine Waters. She is a California Democrat, an icon of progressives, and she was in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, this past Saturday evening to show her support uh, for the protesters over uh, the death of Dante Wright and also uh, for George Floyd. She said, we've got to stay in the street and demand justice. We're looking for a guilty verdict, and we're looking to see if all the talk that took place and has been taking place after they saw what happened to George Floyd, if nothing does not happen, then we know that we got to not only stay in the street, but we have got to fight for justice. When she was asked what protesters should do if there is no guilty verdict, Waters said that protests should continue. She said, we've got to stay on the street, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they know that we mean business. When she was asked about the curfew, she said, I don't think anything about curfew. Curfew means I want you all to stop talking. I want you to stop meeting. I want you to stop gathering. I don't agree with that. So literally uh, inciting violence and encouraging people uh, to break the law. Comparatively, uh, President Trump was removed from Twitter and other social media platforms and censured and so on because he said, quote, I know that everyone here will soon be marching over the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard, unquote, on January the 6th, and then we all know what happened there. Maxine Waters, on the other hand, is, uh, <laughs> is not... Um, facing any sort of reprimand for saying this and for encouraging violence. But the judge presiding over Chauvin's trial did reference her comments saying that she may have given the defense something on appeal that could result in the whole trial being overturned. Cahill later added, I wish elected officials would stop talking about this case, especially in a manner that is disrespectful to the rule of law and to the judicial branch and our function. I think if they want to give their opinions, they should do so in a respectful and in a manner that is consistent with their oath to the Constitution to respect a co-equal branch of government. Their failure to do so, I think, is abhorrent, but I don't think it's prejudiced us with additional material that would prejudice this jury. Because the jury, of course, at that point, I believe, was sequestered when at least the president made his comments. By the way, the president making comments about an ongoing, like the the judge in this case is exactly right. Like, just I my I just, oh my goodness. So you have Maxine Waters literally calling for violence and insurrection. Still on Twitter, no censure, no impeachment, no nothing. Then you have Nancy Pelosi who comes out at a rally, and just I mean. She says, thank you, George Floyd, for sacrificing your life for justice, for being there to call out to your mom. How heartbreaking was that? Call out for your mom. I can't breathe. And then she talks about uh, everybody that came out and how his name uh, will always be synonymous with justice. Now we have to make sure justice prevails in the sentencing. How insensitive and inaccurate is that? This man was not a martyr who was willingly giving himself for the cause. He didn't, he didn't want to die. He didn't anticipate dying. He didn't lay down his life for justice. Not, and, and this is just sacrificing your life for justice. It's not... This was not something that he chose to do. In fact, the jury decided that he was murdered. So there, there is that. Then there was AOC, 
who took to the social medias for a 15-plus minute speech on how justice has not been served. Because real justice would be if our government was not more focused on military spending than on health care and education and so on. When in actuality, we spend way more on health care. This is a favorite talking point of leftists, but it's simply not true. We spend way more on health care yearly in this country than we do in the military. <sighs> and you don't have to take my word for it. This is You can go and look this up. But... The United States essentially, and I believe these numbers are from 2000, oh, this is 2020, I thought they were 2018, but even better, so they're, they're even more recent. The U.S. government spends roughly $8,949 per capita on health care, and when you add in individual costs, Americans spend about $10,586 per capita for health care. The U.S. government budgeted $1.1 trillion dollars in 2018 for U.S. healthcare spending, with $1 trillion of that going just towards Medicare and Medicaid. Okay? If that does not blow your mind, okay, $1 trillion, and this is going to get me off track, but $1.1 trillion budgeted, $1 trillion of the $1.1 trillion is just Medicare and Medicaid. 17.7% of our GDP is dedicated to U.S. healthcare expenditures. All right, what about... What about the military? Well, surely we spend more on the military. We care more about the military. This is the narrative AOC is pushing. Wrong. The United States spends less than $2,000 per capita on military costs, a fraction of the country's health care spending. In 2018, the United States spent about $643.3 billion total in defense spending. The, the, the accusation that our country spends more on the military than we do on health care is completely inaccurate. And if you look at countries around the world, this is consistent. Almost every nation in the world spends more on its health care than they do on their military. But this is not this does not fit the narrative, so we don't talk about it. But AOC is pushing this in her little justice, or this isn't justice rant. And she said... And this was what really got me in her speech. She said, we're willing to accept violence against some communities as a necessary cost for safety. Safety from what? From whom? What makes me feel safe is being housed. What makes me feel safe is not being thrown out of my house. What makes me feel safe is guaranteed health care. I'm sorry, but you are comparing... You are comparing what the jury has said is murder to you not receiving free housing. You are taking legitimate fear that many people in our country have. I'm not saying that, that police are necessarily prone to brutality. I don't agree with that. But I do believe that people have a, a real fear. I guess I shouldn't use the word legitimate. They have a real fear. To them, the fear is real. Whether or not it's based on what may or may not happen, to them, the fear is very real. And, and you're saying that you, who are living on a government salary... Uh, what makes you feel safe in the world is, is guaranteed health care as you receive our government-funded health care. <sighs> this, this is not the same. This is not the time to talk about this, and this was not well stated. Then, then on Twitter, you just had all, this, all these people that should just not have said anything. The Raiders are in all kinds of hot water today for tweeting, I can breathe. 
goodness, stop trying to be so woke. Like, you're trying to be so woke, you're completely insensitive and missing the point and irritating the people you are trying to pander to. Then you have 7th Generation. They tweeted, they're, they're the cleaning products line. 7th Generation commits to supporting efforts to defund the police. They did a thread on this. And I'm like, you, you make soap. And you make expensive soap. Lowering your prices would do more for this country than you tweeting that you support efforts to defund the police. CBS did a whole piece on how justice has not been served because justice isn't just convicting Derek Chauvin. Justice would be, justice would be if we convicted America. And we're pushing this racial narrative in our culture and in journalism that wasn't even part of the trial. The racism aspect was not even part of the trial. But that's what everybody keeps talking about. And then that got compounded when we had this young lady with a knife go after some other individuals in the driveway. I'm sure you've seen this too. Her name's Makia Bryant. Tragic situation. A police officer shoots her, kills her, as she's lunging at another individual with a knife raised in her hand. And you have people around the situation People tweeting, saying him next in regards to that officer, making an example of him like Derek Chauvin. And again, I'm not saying I'm I'm not I'm not saying that Derek Chauvin shouldn't have been the jury found him guilty. But now it's as though every incident will will get this this uh, will be put up to stand to 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 this trial, <laughs> which on one hand they're saying is not justice. But on the other hand, they're, they're, I, I just I don't get it. How can police officers do their job? How can good police officers do their job? And people with this knife situation are saying, well, just use a taser. What if it wasn't effective? Was he supposed to hope for the best and hope that she doesn't stab the other girl anyway? She'd already tried to stab, I believe, two other people. This officer in the Makia Bryant situation was responding to a 911 call about a female trying to stab them. Now, her family says that she's the one who called. The police have not released that yet, but it doesn't sound... Uh, something doesn't add up there. But if you watch the body cam video footage, and I think the police department was so smart to release that right up front. They were like, usually we don't do this, but bam, here's the video. Look, you can see what happened. And they play the video, then they play the video in slow motion, and you can clearly see that they are, there's this group of people is arguing and fighting as the cop gets out of the car... Uh, he's got his hand up, he's trying to reason with them, and as he's walking towards them, uh, she starts running at this one girl with a knife, which, if it was a pocket knife, which a lot of people are saying was a very large pocket knife, because you can see it in the video. Uh, it looked more like a kitchen knife to me, but I'm not sure they haven't given specifics on it yet, but it was, it was a larger knife, not like a, not like a meat cleaver, but like a, I don't know, I don't know, I need a ruler. <laughs> for how the the blade looked, but it looked it looked bigger than a pocket knife. Okay, significantly larger in my opinion than a pocket knife. Maybe like a hunting knife size, but not that thick. 
you can go in and watch the video. The, the police department released it. So she comes at this one girl with a knife. That girl falls to the ground at the uh, officer's feet as she's, like, trying to get away from her. The officer yells, stay down, stay down. Makia goes off frame for a second, appears to lose balance because you can see her one leg in the shot. It looks as though she may even be lunging at the officer in that moment, again, while brandishing a knife. Then you see him draw his weapon. Again, where it appears that she may have been lunging at him. Then she goes back towards the girl on the ground like she's going to take a stab at her. Another dude runs over, and she appears to either swipe at him or start to swipe at him, then realize who he is, that she's, he's on her side, and pulls back because then he proceeds to violently kick the girl that's on the ground. So that's why I think that she did it. She pulled back because she didn't realize who she was swiping at because she was just going on a on a... She appears to be in an enraged state at this point. Anyway, she misses the girl on the ground and then instead continues charging at another woman who's standing there. You've probably heard about the woman in pink. This is the one that everybody's talking about. Most people don't even know about the backstory because everybody's just, just, all you see is the image of her with the knife raised with the woman that's in the pink. But she's already been on a rampage at this point. Um, and I say rampage, probably that's not a great choice of words. Uh, she's already attempted to swipe at other people at this point. The knife is raised in attack mode, and at that point she gets shot. The officer did not jump out of his car and shoot her and just start shooting. And he does, in fact, appear to attempt to defuse the situation, but this girl is going crazy trying to stab people. And the Columbus Police Department has issued some information, but the situation is currently under independent review. More will be said in the days ahead. Um... The aunt who's being promoted a lot of places said that the, that Makia dropped the knife before being shot, but that's clearly not the case in the video. Then you have, you have people from the media to celebrities that are just saying things that are not, not smart. Um, Brie Newsom, you may have heard of her, she said, she wrote on Twitter, teenagers have been having fights including fights involving knives for eons. We do not need police to address these situations by showing up to the scene and using a weapon against one of the teenagers. Y'all need help. I mean that sincerely. And we're arguing that teenagers have had knife fights for forever, so it's... I, I, what if she had succeeded? What would have been said then about the cop? What about the victim's family then? If she had simply stabbed the other girl to death, it, it wouldn't have been national news. There wouldn't be, uh, there wouldn't be activists complaining. You, wouldn't have, uh, you would have a grieving family completely ignored. And then, and then everybody comparing this to the Dylan Roof situation, except that Dylan Roof was not actually act actively shooting anyone when he was confronted by the police, or he would have been shot, and you can go and do research on this too. Police shoot white people uh, regularly, in fact, more often than black people, and generally what's happening is there is a weapon involved. Hashtags simply aren't facts, you guys. Now I still think the, the whole Burger King situation, there's elements there that I don't, that I think are way off the charts, bizarre and unnecessary, but to compare the two is not exactly accurate. If you are willing to have an open mind and watch the video, I, I don't think that you can see otherwise. And if you, you need to watch the slow motion one that the, the police, they do a press conference, they play it in 
in normal speed and then they play it slow motion and you can really see what's going on when it gets to slow motion and that's what the officer was seeing in real time. An officer who, by the way, saved at least one, possibly two, uh, black girls or women's lives by shooting the person who was attempting to kill them and then their community immediately turns on this officer and calls him a murderer. And then there are, and then, and then the whole knife thing, and knives are no big deal. I'm sorry, but you may not know this, because again, it doesn't fit the narrative. But according to the FBI, in the United States, in 2018, there were 1,515 deaths by knives or cutting instruments. 443 people were killed with hammers, clubs, or other blunt objects. 672 people were killed from fists or feet or personal weapons. And 297 were killed by rifles. And by the way, that's not just like uh, like shotguns or AR-15s. That's all the firearms. So death by stabbing, death by knives or cutting instruments is the, or was at least in 2018, the highest number of, of deaths occurring in this country. Guns are not the number one killer. Knives are. And so everybody that's like, it's just a knife. Even teachers can break up a knife fight. I, I need to meet these teachers. A knife fight is a big deal. More people die of being stabbed than of being, uh, than of being shot in our country. At least in 2018, according to the FBI. And could there be a better way? I hope so. Could there be a, a more effective type of, of taser weapon that would guarantee that the suspect would go down and would not be able to keep charging or keep functioning and that would be more accurate or at least as accurate as a firearm or, or something that police can do differently? Is there something we can improve, something we can do better so that, that children, because this girl was 15 or 16 years old depending on, uh, I think mom said she was 16, aunt said she was 15, something along those lines. But she's either 15 or 16, so you have children... Children are being shot by police. That is true. This child was on a rampage. Again, sorry, wrong word. Was attempting to slice people with a knife in a very angry, aggressive fashion. Is there a better way to deal with that situation? I hope so. I, I hope that because of this, we, we are able to find something that would cause us to stop but I don't see how, if you watch the video, especially when it appears that she may have even lunged at the cop with the knife, like, I don't, I don't know what else we expect him to do in this situation. I, and I, I just don't see how we as a country have reached a point where people are literally making the arguments that knife fights are just a normal part of teenage culture and that cops don't need to intervene. Like, what kind of bizarro logic is this? We're reaching a point where our society is saying that uh, police officers, if someone is charging at you with a knife, a police officer cannot shoot that person, and also you cannot defend yourself with your own gun because we're going to take that away. And, and we, we, we are so far beyond journalistic malpractice on this story because we're, we're, it, I feel like it's just being used to fl fan the flames of, I, I don't know what they, I don't know if they want a race war, I don't know what they want. If it's just for headlines, if it's just for clickbait, ha oh, shame on 
the media for this. Even the White House invoking racism and criticizing the Columbus Police Department, not mentioning that she has a weapon, just fueling this fire. And, and, and anyone who's, whose child or loved one has been taken by police brutality should be outraged by this because you cannot have a rational dialogue in this country about proper policing where even in cases when the officer clearly does the right thing, that our media and even our White House, our celebrities, every major platform is saying that we should be outraged at the police and, and just make it part of the anti-police narrative. We can't have a conversation about things that can change and things that should be improved and things that should go well if, if you're going to go after situations like this where the officer did not do anything wrong. In fact, he did exactly what he should have done. And, and back to the, Sh the Chauvin case, cities across America were ready to burn today if the jury did anything except decide he was guilty in all three cases. But then we say that that's not justice. What? You're, then you're basically saying that our legal system does not work. So now not only is the police department broken, but the, the judicial system also doesn't work, even though what you wanted was three cases or three charges of guilty, but now... Now that's not now that's not it. But we're not going to burn stuff down because because the jury had the evidence and they made a right call and so on and so forth. But what about the next time something like this happens and it will? What about if if Makia Bryant's trial or 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 the officer who who shot her? What if he goes to trial and they find him not guilty? Because I see no way that that happens. With, the, with what you have just in the video, not any other evidence even being included. And they decide that he's not guilty. And the jury determines that that was not murder. That he acted properly and within the realm of his jurisdiction. What precedent are we setting here? You're now guilty until proven innocent. The judge's life is in danger. The jury's lives are in danger. The businesses anywhere near where these things happen are in danger. And the kids are in danger, guys. Like, what are you talking about? We are fostering a culture of perpetual anger, entitlement, and justifiable violence, which is justifiable in air quotes, by the way. You can't see me, but they're there. Justifiable violence, and it is spilling over into our streets. Last year, we saw an increase of 40% in youth shootings in Philadelphia alone. 40%. Portland, the center of BLM protests in the United States, 400% increase highest monthly murder rate in over 30 years in July. And, by the way, most of the victims in those shootings were black. But Portland is only 6% black population. Murders in Chicago last year up 139%. 75% increase in shootings. If you want to go to the CHOP zone, where we, we outlawed police. Crime was through the roof. 525% increase in violent crime in that area once everybody, all the police and everything were shut out. Two murders, two non-lethal shootings, all black victims, by the way. In New York City, 44% increase in shootings, 23% increase in murders. 
Since BLM has become mainstream and looting and rioting in the name of protest has become celebrated, things have gotten worse by way of gun violence statistics in black communities, not better. And these are not police shootings we're talking about either. Cities that have been defunded the police are suffering more. January uh, 15th of this year, Governor Andrew Cuomo uh, said the increase in crime is compounding the problems in New York City. And, uh, and then last night, protesters in New York City were chanting, quit your job at police officers. Meanwhile, Minneapolis, who had moved to defund their police, is now working to refund their police. Not refund as in payback, but to rebuild the, 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 uh, the police budget. Cities across the nation are putting, pumping more money into their police departments as crime is just continuing to increase. And by the way, it's increasing disproportionately in areas where BLM has been particularly active, and Antifa as well. <sighs> Look, not all cops are good cops. Not all cops are bad cops. Not all kids are good kids. And not all kids are bad kids. <laughs> not all moms are Karens. Not all moms are reasonable either. We've reached a point of hyper-generalization in this country. You are either all this or you are all that. You can only see our side and our side never does anything wrong and your side never does anything right. And tr President Trump, by the way, in my humble opinion, he did not help with that polarization or hyper-generalization either. And the attack on the Capitol, which a lot of people have also been bringing up, that was also not acceptable. I did a whole podcast on that, and I did a series uh, with my friend Renita on race relations. You can go listen to all of those if you want. At the end of the day, it boils down to the fact that we are all sinners. And at the end of this life, each one of us is going to be on trial. You will stand before God to account for your life. What will be put on display at your trial? Will you be found guilty? of your sin in the eyes of God. You know, a 40-year jail sentence is a long time. That's what Derek Chauvin is, is facing. I, I think his story may be far from over. I think there will be an appeal, and we'll, we'll see what happens. But if we're talking about a murderer, 40 years is not nearly enough. But for someone who tells a lie and never repents, someone who steals just a stick of gum, someone who disrespects their parents, Someone who commits sin because they are a sinner, a.k.a. every single one of us. Forty years is just a drop in the bucket, not even a drop in the bucket, of an eternity separated from God in a place called hell because of our sin. That's a never-ending death sentence, folks. It's not a life sentence. It's a never-ending death sentence. And I haven't gone hardcore evangelistic gospel-presenting preacher mode on my podcast in quite a while, so hold on to your seats, guys. But when I look at this world, I know that Jesus is the answer to our problems. Right? But more and more, my heart is broken with what I see in our country, with what I see around the world, with how we treat each other, the things we are willing to say, the things we aren't willing to say. And when I take a step back, I just say, wow, truly only Jesus can fix the brokenness we live in. People aren't happy. People are scared. People live like their decisions don't matter and that their lives and the lives of others don't matter. They're confused. 
They're angry. People want and need hope. And that hope is found in Jesus Christ. We can defund police and paint BLM murals all day long. It won't end actual racism. We can preach love, but it won't end actual hate. We can give out stimulus checks, but in the end it won't solve your money problems. At the end of the day, the root of the issues is that we have a heart issue. Each one of us. And that heart issue is sin. That's the bad news. And no matter how much we work and how many reforms we put in place and how many trials there are, and yes, obviously we have to do our part and we can see a real change over time and we should work for reform any and every place in society where it is needed. And if you listen to my podcast at all, you know that I am a firm believer in being active in your community and, and taking an, an active role in, in, in making your neighborhood the neighborhood that you want it to be by being involved, right? But when push comes to shove, Regardless of what laws we make or what cultural shifts we may or may not achieve, evil will always be with us. Sinners are going to sin, and the bad news is that we are all sinners. And that sin separates us from God. And that sin manifests itself in the evil we see in the world today. And ultimately, according to the Bible, that sin is going to land us in a place called hell. But God didn't create us for separation. He created us for community, community with one another and communion with himself. So though we rebelled against him, though we spit in his face and we mock at his commands, he still loves us. And he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to bear our sin, to take the punishment that we deserve. Jesus suffered hell on the cross for you and for me. And I know that doesn't sound like good news, but wait, there's more. Because Jesus didn't stay dead. He arose three days later. It's not just a story. No, he proved that he was God and that his work on the cross is sufficient for your salvation. If you believe. And that's it. It's simple. Believe that Jesus is who he said he is. Believe that he died in your place, bearing your sin and rose from the dead, proving he's God. Confess your sin. Ask him to save you. It's not a matter of praying some magic words that you have to put together all in the right order and format. No, no, no. It's a matter of agreeing with God that, yes, I'm a sinner, but I believe. I believe that Jesus died. I believe that he was buried and rose again. And ask him to save you, confessing your sin. When you do that, you become a Christian, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And that Holy Spirit of God will help you and guide you into making right God-honoring choices with your life. doesn't mean your life will be easy or perfect. But it means that you'll have help to do what is right in every decision that you face, in every place that you go, and with every person you interact. And that's how your life and any other life can truly change. And then, when your trial comes at the last day, it's not a guessing game. You don't have to wonder about what the verdict will be. God will welcome you home to heaven because Jesus, your Savior, has redeemed and justified you forever. I'm Crystal Heath. This is The Frittle Show on KVXL 101.1 FM, Experience 30 Radio, and podcasting on iTunes and SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio, a bunch of other places. Like, subscribe, share, leave your comments. I was going to say below but that's kind of a weird thing to say because it's a podcast. <laughs> but wherever you're finding this podcast, you can leave your comments. 
look forward to interacting with you on Facebook and Twitter. You can find me there at The Frittle, and we will see you next week. <laughs>